we're in fourth week here in this creed series. Creed means belief. And it's important that as we look at this Apostles' Creed that we understand uh, this, this Apostles' Creed is not something that stands on its own. This Apostles' Creed is something that, um, that, we, um, that we get from Scripture. And this Apostles' Creed is something that uh, the apostles didn't write, but that people would uh, uh, extract from the apostles' teachings. And in fact, many times people would say some of these sayings uh, out of their mouth before they got baptized. You believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in God the Father, um, I believe Jesus was buried and uh, rose again. These sort of statements, and it came up into the Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed is thousands of years old, and it is something that um, has been with the church um, ever since around uh, 280. And so as we, uh, as we do this, one, one thing we, and we, this is not something that we normally do in our series, um, but we're going to do something together. And it's just about the fact of, of we can come together and say something unified together, almost like singing a song together. Uh, it unifies us. And so what I want us to do, and we've done this the last few weeks, and so we're going to continue to do this, you will see on the screen some words of the Apostles' Creed. And so I'm going to ask you, uh, now that you got all comfortable and you got your, got your uh, coffee in one hand and you're just ready to go, I'm going to ask you to stand one more time, and we're going to read this together as we have done the last few weeks, okay? Here we go. Ready? Let's do it. I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Awesome. You guys have a seat. And get back comfortable, but not too comfortable. And um, as we have uh, looked at this, um, this series, the reason why... I felt like God wanted us to, to, to look at this is because it seems like in our culture nowadays that Christians, we get beat around, we get punched around, you know, almost like in a boxing ring, and, um, and our faith gets challenged, and it gets questioned time and time again, and there are people, there are even lawmakers right now making, making and just, I, I can't believe some of the laws that are being passed in some of these states um, from, from this country. And, uh, and, and they disregard uh, strong beliefs. And um, if you can question anything on this Apostles' Creed, then everything is questionable. So like if you question whether Jesus actually died, well, you know, he was hung on the cross. and Maybe they kind of hit him in the, in the tomb a little bit. And he was just hanging out for three days, you know, doing some Snapchat there in the tomb. And he was like just hanging out. And then some people rolled the stone away. You know, if, you, if you're questioning that, then you're questioning lots of other things, such as the beginning of life for an unborn child. You're questioning sexual immorality, sexual orientation. 
You're questioning a lot of things that are in God's word and are very clear in God's word. And so the creed helps us um, to uh, drive us to, to, um, to a belief system. And, uh, and it's just a framework. You know, we talked about in the first week, the difference between knowing and believing. Knowing something and believing is two totally different things. Because when you believe in something, it drives you to an action. When you believe in something, it makes you want to fight for it. When you just know, well, I'm, I may not fight for it. But if you believe in something, you're going to fight for it. If you're married... And if you're just like, yeah, we're married, I know we're married, I got a ring, and you know, and I got a, I got a husband or I got a wife and whatever. But if you believe that, that God brought you together and you believe in your marriage, then you're gonna fight for your marriage. You're gonna fight for your kids if you believe in them. You're gonna fight for them. You're gonna fight for yourself you're going to start taking care of yourself when you believe that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God has a plan for you. When you understand that, when you believe it, you're going to fight for it. And that's the difference between knowing and believing. Um, week two, we talked about the heart of the Father. Some people like to approach, some people think that God is like Archie Bunker back in All in the Family. You know, not really approachable. He's in his chair, you know, and he's just sitting there all grouchy and just can't wait to, you know, to, you know, to strike people with lightning or whatever. No, that's not God at all. In fact, our own sin with the natural cause and effect of sin that God put in the order of things in the spiritual realm, it's something that we naturally experience and that hell is actually a place not created for us the Bible said hell was created for the devil and, the, and his angels, not for us. We were not, we were not made for that. We were not created for that. And, and so God, God provides love to us. But he also does provide um, correction, discipline, just like when we discipline our children. But I do know this. We've learned this. Just a few things about the attributes of God. He is always approachable. We can always approach God. You will never have to earn his love, ever. You can never lose his love. It doesn't matter what you do. I tell my kids that all the time. It's like you can, doesn't matter what you do. You can never make me stop loving you. And his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. Last week we talked about, um, we believe in Jesus Christ his only son, our Lord, who was crucified. I mean, I'm sorry, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. We talked about how the attributes of Jesus and how we could picture Jesus. And we talked about, you know, it, it, it's easy for us to just imagine Jesus was this man. Yeah, if he was the son of God, okay, we'll give that to him. He lived about 2,000 years ago. He walked this earth. I, you know, I know that. But, but when when you relate to Jesus on a level that is very, very personal, you get to really believe in Jesus. And so last week I asked you to think of Jesus like a shepherd. Shepherds never drive their sheep. Shepherds lead their sheep. Shepherds lead their sheep. And they know his voice as it says in John chapter 10. 
verse 24 through 27, the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. If you're, if you're truly a sheep of the shepherd, the great shepherd, then you're going to listen to his voice. You're going to know his voice and you're going to follow after him. And when I say voice, I mean just that still small voice. It's almost like a conscience with a megaphone to where you feel it so strong. It's like, I believe God is, is showing me this. Or, or you open up God's word and you're seeking his voice and you're seeking his truth and you're seeking his direction because he longs to lead you down the path that is right for you. And so if you truly are a follower of Christ, the good shepherd, then you should be a sheep of the shepherd. So Jesus was and still is the great, wonderful shepherd. It might be difficult to imagine Jesus on the cross because we don't see that in today's culture. You know, we, people get executed by electric chair. We see that. It might be difficult to imagine Jesus walking on the water because like, who does that now? <laughs> but it is easier to imagine Jesus as your guide leading you on a path. Leading you on a path. And that's what he wants to be for you. He wants to be your good shepherd. Today, we're talking about Jesus, our sacrifice. As we hone in on the phrase in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus was suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. That's what we're gonna focus on today. But what we see in the death of, of Jesus is God reconciling, meaning making us right with him, making us right with God, because we were, we were formed, we were made to have fellowship with God. We were made to have fellowship with God. Our, our spirit was made to have sweet fellowship with God until sin entered the world, separated us from God, and the only thing that can make us right with God is for us to either live a perfect, sinless life. If you have lived a perfect, sinless life, please raise your hand. Yeah, I thought so. Me neither. I can't do it. You know why? Because we're, <laughs> we're sinful people. And that's why we need a savior. We need a redeemer. We need Jesus, who did live a perfect, sinless life, both uh, in the form of God and man, come together and he became the ultimate sacrifice, and all we have to do is believe on him. And so, now this after Jesus reconciled us back to God and put us back in the, in the, in the Garden of Eden. You know, in the Garden of Eden, there was, there was sweet fellowship between God, Adam, and Eve before sin entered the world. And, and, and Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, 
and trust him as our savior and follow after him, it puts us back into the Garden of Eden. We are walking in Eden. And it reconciles us. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of a reconciliation. That God was reconciling means making us right with him, the world to himself in Christ. Not because of our good works. I put that in there. Okay? Not counting his people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin for us. That's why the the scene on the cross when Jesus says, God, why have you forsaken me? Because supernaturally, all the sins of mankind, past, present, and future, was laid on Christ. God hit his own son, smacked his own son with sin. God can't stand sin. And with every lash on his back, the anger of sin was expressed. By the nails holding Christ on the cross, the wrath of God on, laid on his son, his very only son, our sin. And so he did that just so you can be right with God. So you can be right with God. So you can have fellowship with God. So Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus our sacrifice, it, it, that death reconciled us back to God. If we choose to believe in that. The second thing it did, it purchased a people. It purchased a people. It created the church. As we see in Acts 20, verse 28, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. In essence, Jesus was saying, I love you so much, and I'm going to buy you back and put you in the right place with my Father. And the only thing that could buy you back was the shedding of his blood. And so as as people believe on him, that blood covers a multitude of sins, all of your sins, past, present, and future. Look what it says, how this can happen. Look what it says in 1 Peter 2.10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Now, he's talking to believers here. If you're not a believer here today, then you have not received that mercy. You know, it's really hard to receive something. It really is. It's hard to receive something. Someone uh, this week, just for something I, I you know, normally do as a, as a pastor, just someone decided, hey, here, you know, take, take this little honorarium, take this check. Like, no, no, no. And they insisted there, no, we, we need you to receive it. I was like, all right. Sometimes it's hard to receive things from people. Sometimes it's hard to receive love from people, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to receive uh, forgiveness, isn't it? Or an apology. Sometimes it's hard to receive instruction. And so because of that, some people, it's hard for them to receive mercy. You know why? Because they're saying there's no way, no way in God's green earth that I can be forgiven so much that my sins can, can be forgotten as far as the east is from the west. There's no way. Yes, there is. His name is Jesus. The one and only way, the truth and the life. And he can provide that mercy. So the death of Jesus, it reconciled us into God. It made us right to God. And it, and it formed, it started the church. It purchased a people. So if you're a believer, then the death of Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. The death of Christ has set you free. So you should walk in a new life, a new creation. But oftentimes we miss out on that, don't we? I don't know about you, there are times in my life where I just like, I, I forget, I forget that I should be a new creation. I should be a new creation. I should walk in freedom. I should walk in victory because what Jesus did for me it's, it says this right here in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now, it's not the new is coming. The new is on its way. The new will get here when it, when it wants to. The new is here immediately. We can walk in newness of life. You could put to death those things that are not making you a new creation. You can put to death those things that are not making you a new creation. And the things that are bogging you down as a believer. As you know, I, I, I have, if, if you're saying to me, look, I have accepted Christ as Savior, but, but Frank, I, I still have this addiction problem. I still have this, this anger problem. I still have this lust problem. I, I still have this gossiping problem. I, you know, I still have all of these things. Hey, let me tell you something. It's time to put that to death. It's time to put that to death. That was meant to die on the cross with Christ. Jesus died for that. 
whatever you're facing, that's what Jesus died for. You don't have to live with that. Does that mean I, I can be perfect? No, you're, you're, you're still gonna sin, but, but some of those things that keep coming up time and time again, yes, you're gonna trip and you're gonna get back up, but you need to start putting that to death. You need to crucify the sinful nature. That's why he died. Living by faith means believing that Jesus put to death all sin. And yes, that means all of our hangups. He talks about this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Not around me, not in my neighborhood, not in just Bartow County. He lives in me. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you really, do you really think that Christ died just for certain sins? Christ died for all sins. Every single one. And even those things that stare you in the face every time you get up in the morning or every day or every time you face a certain situation and those things trigger time and time again. Yes, Christ died for those sins as well. All sins. This doesn't happen by becoming intimately aware of all your shortcomings and failures. Meaning, you don't need to be thinking of just all your shortcomings and failures all the time. You need to be thinking of your shortcomings and failures being crucified every day. As it, as it appears on your, on your front porch. Nope, I send that to the cross. Nope, I cover that in the blood of Jesus. Nope, not gonna accept that. I receive mercy, I do not receive this. I receive mercy, I receive grace, but I do not receive this that keeps coming at my door every day. I'm sending that to the cross. I'm sending that for a bloodbath in the blood of Jesus. Consider the blood of Christ. The Apostle Paul encourages you in, in Hebrews 12, one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so e easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, which is kind of like a guide he's leading, and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. One word I want to pick out on that is joy. The joy set before him. What was that joy? What was that joy? As he was taking the cross and it was, he was making that mile journey to Calvary after being beaten in the last 39 times. What was his joy? The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my what? My strength. After being beaten 39 times, how was he able to make it up that hill? I know there was a 
Bible says there was a, a bystander help with the cross, but Jesus still had to carry part of the way. Jesus still had to walk. Jesus still had to be focused on, on his mission. The joy of the Lord was the strength. What was a joy set before him? Here's a joy set before him, knowing that his dad was gonna receive the glory. Man, my dad, my dad, <laughs> this is gonna make my dad look real good when he raises me from the dead. When he looks down from heaven and calls from the grave after three days and says, arise, my son, arise, my love. Death no longer has a hold on you. Get up. That was a joy. You know what else was his joy? You. You. You were his joy. The church. And not just, and not just believers. If you're today and you've never accepted Christ as Savior, you don't know what this Christian thing's about, this Christian walk. Christ died for you. He had you on the mind. Yes, he did. That was his joy, knowing that his mission was going to be accomplished. We see this in Galatians 1, 15 through 16. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was to not consult any human being. He set me apart from my mother's womb. He called me by his grace. He was what? He was pleased. He was joyful. So Jesus died to reconcile us to God the Father, and Jesus died to purchase a people that is you. And it's really important, it's really important that the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus was buried. You know, it, it's kind of natural. When, 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 someone, when someone dies, they're usually buried. And it's kind of like, why is that even in the Apostles' Creed? I, I was asking myself that very question. Why did he have to say was buried? Well, duh. Of course he was buried. You know, the fact that Jesus was buried, where he was buried, is very important to our faith. Very important to our faith. I believe he was buried. Because he can't rise from the grave if he was never buried in the grave. You know, Jesus did, did a couple of things that no one has ever done before. He rose from the dead. Now, I know we have, you know, Lazarus. Jesus had Lazarus rise from the dead, and there have been some others where Jesus, um, Jesus called them to wake from their sleep. But Jesus, with no one else in front of the tomb calling him out, Jesus rose from the dead. Another thing Jesus did, he did something that no one has ever done before. He borrowed a tomb. He borrowed a grave. You know, if I were to go to 
If I were to go to a cemetery here in Cartersville and I would say, all right, this, this plot right here, I need to borrow this, this plot. I'm sure they will have confusion on their faces when they ask, <clears throat> borrow? Don't you mean purchase? Like for good? No, I just, I just want to borrow it because you're going to get it back. That would be freaky. I can't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. No one else in history except Jesus borrowed a tomb. He borrowed it and he gave it back. Who did he borrow it from? He borrowed it from Joseph of Arimathea. And I love, love, love how God was working in the background. You know, there, there was no indication that all of this was in the, was in the mix whenever, whenever Jesus was, was brought before Pilate and brought before the people and they said, crucify him, crucify him. And all this was leading into everything. Do, do you know what they normally do to people who are crucified? One or two things. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, the, the Romans, when they crucified Jesus, it wasn't like something that they just thought of. It wasn't like, hey, let's just put a couple of, couple of trees together in the shape of a T and let's just hang them from ah, that's a great idea no they have they have martyred they have they have put to death thousands of people and the Romans have have really had really crafted the most inhumane torture way to die so Jesus I mean there, there were times that they would crucify 400 or more people at, at once but after they died, do you know one of two things would happen? They would either leave the person on the cross and allow the birds to come finish, finish it up a little bit, the body, and then just kind of take the bones down and whatever's left. And they put it in the grave. They put it in outside the city. Or if, if they didn't leave them on the cross, they would take them off the cross and they would, they would um, just take their bodies and they would, they would go out to outside the city into a mass grave, throw them in the ground. Because everybody that died on the cross, everybody that was, that was crucified, they were criminals. They wouldn't put somebody, oh, you know, this guy died, he's a criminal. Let's put him in a nice new tomb. No. Do you know that that's where Jesus was headed? Was he a criminal in the eyes of the Roman government? Yeah, he was a criminal. He was there with two other thieves. He was a criminal. So what are they gonna do? They're gonna do what everybody, every criminal gets. They're gonna take him and put him in a mass grave outside the city. It's gonna be kind of hard, which, I mean, I'm sure God could have figured out a way, but it'd be kind of hard for him to rise from the dead in a mass grave like that. But what God was doing behind the scenes is that there were a couple of secret believers in the Jewish council, in the Sanhedrin. And, um, and one, of them, one of them was actually Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, you know, that's, that's when, when, when he met Jesus at night because he was undercover believer, follower of Christ, and, and he, he probably became one after Jesus told him this verse, John three sixteen, 
Jesus spoke those words to Nicodemus. And there was another secret believer, and that was Joseph of Arimathea, a a, a very rich man, a man with a a prominence, a leader, well-respected, and he became a believer silently because obviously he was he was in the group that condemned Jesus to death. Obviously, he probably didn't vote for that. Probably abstained from his vote. We don't know. But he, um, he was also a believer. And what God was working in the background is God was working, I'm gonna need a grave, I'm gonna need a tomb, and I'm gonna need somebody who, somebody who can give it and somebody who can loan me a grave. So that's what Joseph did. He loaned God a grave. Now, he didn't know what was gonna happen. He thought Jesus was gonna be there forever. But three days later, obviously, we know what, what happened. But I love the backstory of what God was doing, providing the, the right kind of tomb, providing the right person who became a believer to go to Pontius Pilate. Because for a Jewish person to go to a Roman government official at the, at the level that Pilate was, was unheard of. He would not even listen to any kind of request. You want what? You want a body of someone that we crucified, a criminal? I don't think so. But he listened to Joseph of Arimathea because Joseph was a man of high position and a man of respect, but he was secretly a follower of Christ. Hey, Pilate, can I have the body? Can I have the body? God needed people to step up and God created the plan behind what was going on. Because if not, Jesus would have just been thrown in a mass grave. So, Jesus Jesus our Savior is someone that is an attribute of Christ that we've got to daily walk in line. We've got to daily understand and to believe in Jesus, our Savior. He died to make you right with God, and he died to purchase you, to purchase you, to free you from your sin, to make you walk in freedom. So how, what does that look like on a practical level? That we, that we live our lives as if we, we truly believe, not know that Jesus is our Savior, but believe that Jesus is our Savior and to believe that Jesus is our sacrifice. You know, there's one way I can, I can relate this to, and that's the game of football. Obviously, tonight we had the Super Bowl. Now, whether your team is in the game or not, you know, some of you yes, some of you not. Some of you probably don't even know who the teams are, and that's okay. Some of you probably be like, there's a Super Bowl. By the way, it is in Atlanta, you know, so I would not go down to Atlanta anytime today unless you have tickets. 
And, um, but, I, uh, but I want to kind of use that as an analogy because every time I've gone to any kind of football game, now, most football games, I've been, I've been to a few college games. I, I mostly go to high school games, right? Especially uh, the uh, Woodland Wildcats. I'm the chaplain of the team and get a chance to, to work with Coach Plot and his coaches and, and everything. And, I, and I, I love what they're doing over there at, at Woodland. And, um, but never once have I been in the stands <clears throat> with my Woodland jersey on, right? And I'm cheering. Never once has Coach Plot turned around looked at me at the stands and called for me. He even has my number. He could call me on the phone. Never once has my, has my phone rang with Coach Plot. Hey, Frank, um, can I get you in the game? We could really use some help. Or never once have I, in the middle of a game, said, hey, Coach Plot, this is a really, really long field goal. Hey, Coach Plot, can I, can I kick it? I mean, I really think I'm gonna do, I could do this. <laughs> Never once have I done that. And you know, when you're watching your favorite teams from the comfort of your own living room and you're cheering them on and you're cheering them on and you're cheering them on, they don't know that. They don't know. You're wearing the jersey. You're not in the game. You're cheering them on, but you're not, you're not in the game. You know why? Because, because they're doing that for you. They're in the game. You're, you're not, you don't have to do those things. You don't have to be the one doing something like a football game in order to cheer them on. Because if not, there would be no reason to have the stands and stadiums filled with thousands of people. If the only people that can, that can cheer a football game are the ones who are playing, then all we need is a football field. Reason I use this analogy is because some people think their walk with Christ, they think that they have to actually do a lot of things. It's, it's all about works. It's all about works. They feel like, man, I, I, gotta, be, I gotta be doing this. I gotta be playing a game. Can, 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 Jesus, can Jesus really do this? Can Jesus really take care of my sin? Can Jesus handle this? Maybe I should help him out a little bit. Just trust in him. Trust in him and to realize and to understand that he's got this. He's got this. All you have to do is walk in trust and understand that he is Jesus, your savior, your great sacrifice. So as we, as we close this time, if you... If you truly believe in Jesus, you're gonna walk your life like you believe in Jesus. You're gonna trust in him. You're going to surrender all of your junk 
daily. You're not going to try to try to fix those things on your own. You're just going to say, nope, I give it to the cross. Jesus, I need you to take it. This is yours. This is yours. This is yours. Yeah, you're wearing the Jesus jersey. But Jesus is not asking you to take the ball and run. He's got this. He's got this. Trust in him. And guess what? He wins a game every time. Every time. Every head bowed, eyes closed. As we, as we uh, come to a time in our service that I believe God wants to work in the hearts of people. Some people here today, maybe you, you felt like you have to do so much, do these things in order to be right with God. Sometimes you have to become clean yourself to come before a God who can clean you. That's not the right way to do it. God wants to, you to come to him dirty, helpless. As we sang earlier, Lord, I need you. I need you. Not Lord, I could, I could use you. I could, you know, I don't, I don't mind if you come in and, and help me out. No, I need you. And so if you're here today and you, if you need a, if you need a touch from God in your life, just, I, I want you to reach out to him with your heart. If you've never accepted him as savior, it just takes a little prayer like, like God, I, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come be Lord of my life, Lord of my heart. I give you my heart, Lord Jesus. Please save me. Be my Savior. And some people here today, you probably need to say a prayer, sort of like, Lord, forgive me for trying to live life on my own. Forgive me for trying to make things right on my own. And forgive me for not releasing some of my big sins to you, to the cross. Please help me to surrender those every day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.